I'm Nicole Kasperson, fintech journalist, and this is What the Fintech. As a journalist who has covered the finance sector over the last five years, I've had the opportunity to interview and engage with some of the best minds in the space. The media landscape is changing, and financial services is grabbing the attention of a more diversified audience than ever before. As a member of that growing demographic, I will provide direct access to the inner workings of a complex industry while bringing in an unconventional perspective to news coverage. Leaving big bank earning reports to the boring traditional media firms, I'll focus on the tech-savvy apps, digital investing platforms, challenger banks, and payment giants to drive relevant content that looks forward to disruption instead of fearing it. Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of What the Fintech, a podcast for fintech professionals who want to shape the future of our industry with innovation and inclusion. I'm your host, Nicole Kasperson, and today I'm sitting down with Clay Gardner, co-CEO and co-founder of Titan, a mobile app letting investors gain access to the elite world of hedge funds. In short, Titan brings the experiences of active management to our mobile phones. And to date, Titan has raised $75 million from investors like Jared Leto, Will Smith, Kevin Durant, uh, since its founding in 2018. I'm excited to have Clay to join us here and tell us what is up with Titan today. Clay, welcome to What the Fintech. Thank you so much for having me. Of course, first and foremost, how are you doing this? Uh, we're recording on a Monday morning. How are you? Where are you located? You're working uh, in office? Doing very well. Thanks for asking. Hope you are too. We're headquartered here in the Grange Village area in New York City. So uh, I live not too far from here. So uh, I got somewhat of a full house today, uh, which is exciting. We had our holiday get together last week with the company. So just getting back into the swing of things now. Oh, yeah, that's so nice. Nice. Did you have your holiday gathering in the office or did you go somewhere fun in the city? We have about, I would say, 20, 25 percent of our team is remote. So um, for folks that were comfortable, you know, flew to New York City, uh, worked out of the office for the week and then uh, and then had a little dinner uh, and, and gathering at a hotel in the Soho area. So it was a lot of fun. Oh, nice. All right. All right. Cool. Very festive. Love that. Um, well, we will jump into it. I do like to open up these conversations, learning a bit more about you and your values. You spent a majority of your career as an investor at multi-billion dollar hedge funds. What are Titan's core values and how has your past experiences influenced those core values that you set for Titan? That's a great question. I'd say three core values that come to mind um, at Titan are, one is Olympian work ethic. I can talk a little bit about what that means. Uh, the second is an ownership mindset. And the third is client and customer centricity. So my background is, is I used to work on Wall Street. I worked at private equity firms and hedge funds. There's a lot of pros and a lot of cons with like the quote unquote old Wall Street. I would say the Olympian work ethic is something that we could go back and forth on whether it's nature versus nurture, but it's pretty much par for the course on Wall Street. It's something that if you make it past a couple of years in a lot of these investment banking or private equity programs, it's a good signal that you can put up with a lot of stress and a lot of you know context switching and multitasking and, and handle quite a bit. So, you know, at Titan, you know, we're each always doing it feels like five, ten different jobs. Whether you're a software engineer, uh, you're an investment writer or investment analyst, um, that's just par for the course with building an early stage startup. Uh, growing at the rate that we are. So we're looking for folks that kind of demonstrated that in their backgrounds, ability to kind of run through the proverbial walls. Um, so Olympian work ethic is one. Ownership mentality, you know, everyone that owns equity at Titan, that's really important to us. That's something I, I think from some past firms I've been at, 
Um, a lot of folks in Wall Street are a little bit reluctant to give that up. You know, for example, like most of the owners of these old mess banks, like those owners certainly haven't changed in centuries. We're really one where we want to democratize and decentralize a lot of the ownership of really needy things at Titan. So it's really important to us. And then customer centricity, you know, we have 40,000 plus clients and counting from all walks of life across the country. And my parents are Titan clients. My grandparents are Titan clients. Um, <laughs> putting the client first, it's it's quite cliche to use that in the startup world these days, but it really, it really matters for us. And every product decision, every engineering decision, every design queue is really thought and, and deployed with uh, the end customer in mind. I love those core values and thank you so much for, for elaborating on them. I think it is so important to the success of your company and clearly you are seeing all of those core values um, you know, kind of come to fruition and on all the success that you're having. Um, I love the Olympian worth ec- work ethic. I imagine, like, does that have a correlation to the Titan name? It's funny you bring that up. Um, I <laughs> like a lot of things in our company's history. They sound super smart and well thought out. In hindsight, at the time, we sort of, it was just the first thing that came to mind. You know, um, <laughs> I can say like, you know, having worked at a lot of these um, hedge funds and private equity firms, the phrase hedge fund Titan is like, I think one of the most commonly used phrases, if you like Google the word hedge fund, it's a very commonly used phrase. So Titan, I think a lot of people correlate or associate that word with a prominent figure in industry, commands authority, commands trust, dictates the flow of resources. And so, you know, if you think about the Titans of old Wall Street, that's definitely um, how we perceive them. You know, our goal is for every customer to feel like a Titan. So I feel like they have access to the same experience and the same opportunities. But uh, it, it wasn't as quite well thought out, though it, it obviously uh, works quite well in hindsight. <laughs> oh, I love that. Love when that kind of happens, right? Um, so serendipitous, if you will. And then the other thing I have to ask, based on your prior response to my first question, is who had a harder time understanding how to use the Titan mobile app, your parents or your grandparents? Because that can hmm. vary. Sometimes That's a good question. Can get it. Grandma can get it right away sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes my mom's the one that fumbles around with the apps. <laughs> I would say my grandmother this time because when she became a Titan client, which was probably the first day, we didn't yet, yet have a web app. And so she, you know, she had barely gotten a mobile phone. She does most of her banking on desktop online. So I think she's quite tech savvy, but uh, was a little early in the Titan journey for where we were, where we were at the time. All right. All right. So we're going to give it to grandma. Uh, That is awesome. Um, So you've also been quoted saying most people think diversification is a good thing. And what really matters is concentration. Will you elaborate on what you meant by this and how this sentiment establishes the foundation for Titan and its offerings? Yeah, absolutely. It's one of my favorite sayings because it is a spectrum. So putting all of your eggs in the proverbial single basket Obviously, when you make certain decisions in life, whether they be money decisions or other decisions, can be risky. You're writing more of the the results on one single particular opportunity. I would say that quote in particular, what we mean is, you know, in investing. And for example, let's say you have ten good ideas in your lifetime, like ten home run investment ideas, where you make an investment, it goes up a hundred x. But let's say those 10 are you know, only 10 of 1,000 op- investment opportunities that you had, uh, 1,000 opportunities you, you end up uh, investing in. So let's say you make 100 different, pick 100 different stocks a year and you do it for 10 years and then you move on. If you equal weight all of those 1,000 stocks, those 10 absolute home run slam dunk winners are unlikely to really move the needle. And so if you're an astute active investor, it would behoove you to try to concentrate more of your capital in those 
those winning ideas. Now, obviously, again, hindsight's twenty twenty, so it's really hard a priori to know which of the ten, you know, which of the thousand bets are going to be the ten quote unquote super stocks or winners. But our belief is that by is doing less is more. And instead of allocating to 100 or 500 stocks, which is how the typical you know, S&P 500 index works, if you can concentrate in, let's say, your top 10 or your top 20 ideas, um, you could actually achieve most of the benefits of diversification. So statistically speaking, you're not actually putting all your eggs in one basket. You've sort of mitigated a lot of the market, a lot of the beta and like high-level exogenous risks, but you still get to capture the majority of the upside of your winning ideas. You don't dilute your winning ideas. So that's that's a guiding philosophy. That's one of the reasons why, for example, in each of our strategies at Titan, if you come aboard and you download the app, you'll see there's typically 15 to 25 stocks strategy compared to 500 plus in a typical index fund. And that study really guides a lot of our product philosophy. That makes a ton of sense. And kind of just giving maybe even like a quick overview of some of the main product offerings of Titan. I mean, for our audience's purposes, we definitely know who you are and understand that Titan does bring that hedge fund and active management experience into the hands of you know everyday investors for um, you know what is, for the most part, a uh, barrier to entry that isn't so challenging in some capacity. Yeah. So kind of give us a, just a brief overview of some of the things that you've rolled out, even just, you know, of, of recently and just, you know, of Titan and its product offerings overall. Definitely. So yeah, a quick one-liner on Titan for those who are not super familiar. We bring in a team of expert investment managers to you in your pocket at a fraction of the cost um, and a much more delightful experience than the quote-unquote mutual funds and, and ETFs in the past. So what that means is, you know, we're building a team of investment experts, investment analysts internally, and then going after each asset class that we think deserves a slice in many clients' portfolios. So we started with large cap, sort of blue chip U.S. equities. Uh, it was a product called Flagship, and that's what we launched with back in 2018. So 15 to 25 stocks, it's actively managed. We'll typically make a few trades per quarter, opportunistically, based on the opportunities we see in the market. But otherwise, it's a you know, it's a quality focus strategy. You're going to look at some of the companies in the portfolio. Some you may recognize like a Microsoft or an Alphabet and others are not so much household names. So we started with that large cap equity strategy because we believe most people should have some U.S. large cap yeah. equities in their portfolios. For many young people, it should be the majority of the portfolio. And then we went and tackled several other sort of categories. We went after small and mid cap U.S. equities, very much off the beaten path under the radar stocks that many of your listeners likely would not have heard of. Again, each of these strategies is actively managed by a team of analysts that work at Titan. We launched offshore earlier this year, and that's focused on overseas companies. So markets like China, Latin America, uh, Europe, um, and so forth. And then most recently, we launched Titan Crypto, which was super exciting for me personally, because crypto is quite an intimidating sector for a lot of folks, um, intimidating asset class, really hard to know winners from losers, security is a big concern. So making that super easy to onboard and get acquainted and have an expert you know, team of managers um, actually investing and allocating capital to crypto for you was a huge plus. It was like one of the most highly demanded products we launched for clients. So you know, looking at Titan today, there's four ways you can invest capital on our platform. You come on board and we'll recommend a mix for you. So based on your risk profile and the questions you answer for us, um, we'll recommend some percentage in each of those four products. But ultimately, the client can decide they want to dial up crypto, they want to dial up flagship and so forth. And the really exciting part of the experience is that's really the only decision the client needs to make is that initial onboarding. What are they comfortable with? We do all the work thereafter. So we're monitoring markets, news flow, catalysts, and so forth. And 
reallocating and resizing positions on, along the way. And the reason we have a mobile app instead of a mutual fund or an ETF is because we can communicate with you directly. Mm-hmm. So you'll often see myself on video or my investment analysts on video rationalizing and explaining certain moves we make. So not only do you have a team doing it for you, but they're explaining it for you and keeping you in the loop along the way. I do love the the hybrid approach, if you will, of Titan and and more so than what is usually said about, you know, the robo advisors where they're, they're like, oh, well, there's, you know, automated you know, investing. And then there's a human advisor, whereas you really have done it from the core. And some of these other robo advisors, I think, are, you know, just trying to catch up, right? Just trying to catch up to having, you know, humans along for the ride, human advisors, and almost even breaking those out into different categories of their business. Um, So just as interesting to see, you know, what you've created in it all in one, started from the foundation, which kind of brings me to my next question of Titan largely being labeled as a robo-advisor, kind of despite taking that different approach uh, and encouraging active management versus a passive strategy. So when you think of Titan long-term and your vision for its growth, do you think that you'll still identify with robo-advice or would you like to eventually categorize Titan as something else? Yeah, it's a great question. Longer term, we'll definitely see us as, as something much more broad. I think associating active investment management with Titan is sort of our bread and butter, right? So we like to say we're building the operating system for active investment management. So what does that mean? We're building a platform where we can stand up amazing actively managed products, many of which are going to be managed by our team, some which may be managed by you know others that we partner with. But when you think experts managing my money actively, and that could be in stocks, it could be in crypto, it could be in credit, it could be in alternatives like art or whiskey or wine or what have you. When you think experts managing my money, you think Titan. So I totally agree with you, Nicole. I think longer term, you'll see us sort of shed the, the robo-advisor label that has been associated with a lot of you know automated investment platforms. We do enable a lot of automation where we think it makes sense for clients. So for example, if you want to consistently allocate funds to Titan, if you say, I want to be investing $100 every week into Titan crypto, uh, we give you an easy way to do that. So we do automate that. That's an example of something where I think a lot of robo-advisors and brokerages now allow that Titan allows as well that we enable. But in terms of the actual investment management, definitely uh, focusing. We we lean in pretty hard on the human side of things. For the many folks out there that may say you know robots or like AI is going to drive investment decisions, I'm a firm disbeliever of that. I think <laughs> they'll own quite a big slug of the market, but I don't think it'll be a monopoly on investment decision making. And so we lean really hard into that. And I do think our the robo advisor label will uh, will fall away over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, thanks for sharing that. And I expected that, right, uh, to see you guys form into something fuller, into something bigger over time. And you're really just getting started and seeing so much success so fast. And, you know, you have just uh, launched that crypto offering, which is really, really exciting. And so kudos to you guys for, you know, moving fast and having that agility. And you've said before that tax implications of crypto aren't really talked about enough how are you working to maybe change that dialogue, especially within the Titan crew and its crypto offerings for users? I'd say you think about it two ways. One is in first just leveling the playing field between crypto and equities from like a tax complexity perspective. For example, I know many smart folks that are very tax savvy that are afraid to dip their toes in crypto because it's a little bit of the Wild West from a tax standpoint. Does the wash sale rule apply? Do I need to fill out a 1099 or file a 1099? Like, there's a lot of questions like that that I think are just some of the layers. Security is another one. You know, cold, hot storage is another layer. And so I think the more you can peel back the layers of this onion, 
the more folks that you'll see adopt and onboard into crypto, which I think is a net positive thing for many folks over time. So the way we're approaching it, Nicole, is like first and foremost, get to a level playing field. So like this coming upcoming tax season, we're already hard at work on delivering a tax solution where it's almost one click simplicity for clients. They don't need to worry that it's going to be a nightmare for their CPA or they're not going to be able to onboard into TurboTax or HR Block or what have you. So I think getting that parity with existing investment brokerage solutions is really important. Then I think the next level is diving deeper and saying, okay, how can you turn some of the, the nascent tax complexities around crypto into an advantage for clients? Like, Could you, for example, actually proactively tax loss harvest in certain coins? In other words, save them taxes, save them capital gains taxes. I think the jury's still out on there just because it is such a moving, the goalposts are moving in many ways. There's tax legislation, it feels like every couple of weeks is changing. Um, so it's important to stay nimble and not be too wed. So it's still early days there, but I do think it's it's not talked about as much as it should be in crypto. Yeah, absolutely. I think especially with the uh, retail investors, uh, there's still a lot of education that needs to be done there. And it's all fun and games until it's time for its tax season. And you're like, what in the hell am I doing? And what is going on? And and what are all these like implications that I didn't know about? I mean, and that's super common, right? I think you know, I know that you know, your, your target audience and majority of your users are, are millennials, more than likely ones that um, have, you know, accrued some sort of wealth um, just from being in the workforce for longer. But still, there's, you know, younger generations out there that really, and shoot, even some millennials, I'm sure, that don't really know that much about crypto and the tax implications correlated with it and think it's kind of just like a fun roller coaster and free for all. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't know if you run into that at all with, with some of your the folks that you interact with. I would say the most common question we get is, is Titan thinking about crypto tax loss harvesting? how should I expect to think about taxes, the tight crypto? Um, because one nuance of our strategy is it is actively managed, right? So we've placed several trades already since we incepted the strategy in August where, you know, we went heavy into Bitcoin and then we paired back our Bitcoin exposure and went heavy into Ethereum and went heavy into the alts, right? And each of those moves to the extent there's capital gains accrued on Bitcoin at the time that we trim that and go into altcoins, well, that's potentially a taxable gain, right? And so I think when you combine your views on adoption and utility and when I say you, I say the proverbial you, right? When you combine some of the views that we have on coins, you need to be taking taxes into account. Like we should be doing the math on, okay, if I, percent, if I expect 50% upside in the coin, but I expect that that may be generated over a two month period. And so I'm going to need to pay short-term capital gains when I sell that. How does it factor into my returns math? So I would say for our clients, they're just excited that we're thinking about this stuff. <laughs> it's like, that's this is one thing I think a lot of robo-advisors, a lot of automated platforms um, can't take advantage of this ability to be more active and thoughtful around taxes. So it's definitely a work in progress, but I'm excited about what we've been able to do there so far. Yeah, no, kudos to you guys and, and putting that um, at the forefront. And I guess if my fintech crystal ball would uh, look into the future, I would say that that is something maybe we'll see a bit more innovation around moving forward, hopefully. But kind of speaking of the world of alternatives, I know that's something that you're interested in continuing to explore is there an alternative asset outside of crypto that you'd be the most excited to maybe add on to Titan? Asking me to give away the keys to the kingdom there. <laughs> I know. I mean, you see how casually I ask that? It's like one of my techniques. <laughs> very, very disarming. <laughs> um, casual. You know, what is it? I, I, I can give you the, the 30,000 foot view. Um, to date, we've, we've primarily focused on publics, public strategies. It's like equities in crypto. I consider those public assets. They trade daily. They're quite liquid. 
they're marked to market every day. I think private assets are really interesting for a handful of reasons. They sort of sit at number one, the intersection of, of access. Um, they're really hard for most folks to access. Uh, mm-hmm. Two, the, the legal constraints around what, uh, investability. So most private assets are managed by asset managers that charge performance fees, which means they can't be offered to unaccredited investors, which is the majority of Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third is, historically, you've seen a lot of these categories have generated much of the upside of overall investable assets. So I think we can buy the returns potential with the fact that most people have been locked out of private assets. And in this bucket, you can consider venture capital, private equity, even more, you know, call it nascent alternatives, but are they don't price daily. So things like art and collectibles and all these sorts of things. I think, you know, some of them are more speculative, right? They don't generate cash flow. They're sort of trading sardines in some way, but a lot of them do produce cash flow. They're tangible assets. They have real value. And I think to the extent you could democratize those, make those investable, um, make the fees much lower, make the, the onboarding experience much more streamlined. Um, we're very interested. So I can't dive in too, more, too much more deeply okay. below privates, but that is a massive category. I think rivals publics, but in terms of addressable market by many of the ways you slice, the, you slice those dice. And I think it's very interesting. Yeah, well, thank you, though, for sharing that with me. And um, I love kind of sliding in a little something in there just to, you know, got to keep everyone on our toes and uh, get get the audience excited. <laughs> but anyway, you know, I, I kind of love what you guys are doing in the thought process of, I think, a lot of the investing apps and the mobile apps out there that we've seen so much of in the last you know year or so, they touch on access and the access has already been there. And so what you're doing is taking that to the next level. What is the next form of access that folks are interested in now that we've kind of had like the barrier of entry to like regular just stocks and bonds and retail investing really become so mainstream and normalized. Um, And so you're taking it to the next level, right? What is, you know, that next exclusivity that I could bring and do so with the proper UX that we can provide via the mobile app. So it's just super smart. And to dive into, you know, the world of alternatives is also just a key trend. So, I mean, you're hitting all the things here. I I can't wait to see it all progress. I also kind of mentioned before a little bit about Titan's average investor being um, millennials. So do you ever think about the future of Gen Z and eventually bringing that demographic into the fold? I do. And I think it's probably one of our fastest growing demographics underneath the surface. If you look at the broad range of demographics we have, you know, our content strategy in many ways has surfaced the potential of like the younger demographic, both in terms of the potential of, I think, I think a lot of people overlook just how smart and savvy young investors can be. I think they do need the proper guardrail. So I think, you know, with the, the boom of TikTok and the kind of other influencer platforms, that's brought a lot of, you know, novice investors and younger investors into the fold, which I, I view as a net positive. But I do think, you know, if you onboard too quickly and you're sort of given the proverbial keys to the Tesla before you get your driver's license, you know, there's obviously the risk that you drive it off the cliff, which I think is a net bad thing. So um, we're focused on the demographic, particularly from a content strategy standpoint. So as we build out our influencer strategy and our content strategy and our campus ambassador efforts, like these are all sorts of things that we're thinking about in terms of like arming younger investors with more tools and more education and making smarter investment decisions at an earlier age. I personally am, am very cognizant of the fact that despite being 31 years old, I walk on the street and I pass by, you know, younger college students or what have you. And I'm just like amazed at how quickly this generation has like leapfrogged what I thought was tech savvy as a millennial. <laughs> and so I'm also, I'll look at it from the standpoint of it's important to like stay relevant, right. And like stay up with how people are engaging and 
consuming on social media and it changes so quickly. So it's a fast growing segment of our user base. And it's one of the most interesting ones for sure. It's good to see, right? I am excited to see Gen Zers maybe move beyond the very basic trading apps that we have and kind of level up right into something which is more like Titan, right? Something that really has them engaged, something that um, keeps them learning, keeps them understanding, keeps them up to date on even just like the language and a lot of the things that, you know, they can learn from a platform like yours. So kudos to you guys and thinking of that generation because, yeah, I mean, they are like changing the world and they're doing it fast and same. I'm technically a millennial. I like to identify as a zillennial because I'm about four years off from being a Gen Zer and I wish I could identify as one of them because they're just so badass. But anyways, so Titan has also received numerous accolades from being named a top fintech company of 2021 by CB Insights to Forbes list of next billion dollar startups to also ranking as the highest funded startup founded by Black and Latinx entrepreneurs by Crunchbase. Of all your accomplishments, which makes you the most proud and why? I would say, this is going to sound cliche, it's it's not any of the awards you've been given. I would say this is more of an internal milestone that uh, my co-founders and I track pretty religiously, which is like employee retention and employee happiness. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is an input metric, whereas awards tend to be output metrics. Sort of, you know, the awards come because of something that you drove Mm -hmm. or some process you implemented and may have some bad outcomes, you may have some good ones. I think the process input metric is really important one. And so the output metric I care most about is employee retention. So we've never lost an employee in our history. We've never had to part ways. We've never had someone leave for another opportunity. And we're, you know, we're 50 plus folks strong and, and, you know, almost four years in at this point, we've been through market ups and downs. We've been through fundraising, you know, cycles. Uh, We've been through product features that worked, product features that didn't work. And so I don't know what award is out there for employee retention. There probably isn't one. It's one of the less glamorous, I guess, things that that outsiders focus on, but it's really, really important to us. It means that, you know, again, the culture we're building, the values we hold, the growth we're delivering, the client experience where it manifests itself is all is all an output of that input of hiring great people, continually raising the bar, paying well, right? Uh, having the right incentives, the right ownership mentality. And um, it's just really, really exciting to see. I'm sure somewhere on our journey, you know, well, it won't always be the case. We'll have that 100% batting average, but it's it's been really, really fun to have so far. Yeah, shit. I mean, that's like, I was my, I like had a mouth drop. I was like, I can't believe it. Like, that's, that's amazing, especially in the age of the great resignation to be able (laughs) to say that. Right. Like, but that is just so telling, you know, I mean, I've had like two jobs in this COVID environment already finding the right place where the culture makes sense and, and all that good stuff. And so, you know, for you to create that so early on and for it to withstand the pandemic that we're kind of, you know, that we are very much still in the great things like the great resignation happening right now. It makes me want to like even pick your brain more of some of those like secret sauces, but you've established what those core values are. And I imagine just being super intentional about who you bring onto the team and ensuring that, you know, your values align right off the bat is probably a huge way of how you're able to get the right folks in the fold and then measure that success for your company, which is that employee retention. Totally, totally. So uh, we like we like to say internally, people ship software, right? Sh- software doesn't ship software. People <laughs> people build and ship software. It's all about the people. We're a tech company. <laughs> Everything you see on the outside is is around a mobile app and a web app. But um, it all comes back to you know going back to why I'm so bullish on humans, right? We're believer we're believers. They could be great stewards of capital. 
and also builders of great companies. And that's been really, really fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, and just thinking back at even the business model of Titan, there's so much talk about robo or there once was right that robo advisors and AI are going to replace like human advice or human management. And obviously that is like total BS. If anything, in today's and I imagine you maybe feel this way, too, but like in today's day and age, it makes even more sense for that human connection because we're so digital now that when you do have that human connection, when you do know that there's like a human on the other side, when there's someone that they can talk to, when they see your video on the app of you talking directly to them. Yeah, it's super impactful. And I think that actually, like our digital world has actually made the digital more common so that the human is much more exclusive and almost like elite and you feel special for having that human connection. Just like it's like amazing to even go to things in real life again, as opposed to having like Zoom happy hours or meetings. Yeah, it goes back to, you mentioned earlier, you know, so much of the innovation is focused on access to like new products. And I totally agree. A lot of focus happens on the access to products and not enough on access to the people behind the products. Mm-hmm. So for example, if you pop open the Titan app, you'll see instantly, like I, I personally onboard people, you'll see my face in the app. Yeah, it's cool. almost like a it's a virtual onboarding experience where you can dynamically click through and understand and hear from me, talk about our products and our strategies and our team. And um, I think democratizing access to a personalized human relationship at scale, what we call like one-to-many relationships. So like the fact that we have 40,000 clients, and I think the majority of them probably think they know me on a personal, like a first name basis is amazing. I've never met most of these clients, but <laughs> that's the power of software is we were able to build this what seems super, it is in many ways, super personal and intimate relationship mm-hmm. with someone who's 4,000 miles away and you never met before. Until today, without the power of software, you would have had a million dollars. You'd have to have a million dollar net worth to be able to have a, an, off, an in-office meeting with at like one of these old investment banks. So I'd say for all the focus on access to products, which is important, and I think those barriers continue to come down, accreditation rules are going to change. We'll be at the forefront of pushing ahead on whether it's private assets or what have mm-hmm. you. But I think we're still at the top of the first inning and what we call like the cockpit. And we call it cockpit. It's like when you're on, when you're in the first class of, of the plane, which is what I f- we like to say, you, you know, folks feel like when they're with Titan, we want you to be able to come up into the t- cockpit and see how the pilot and the team are navigating the markets. And there's a lot of tooling and UX work around that that you're going to see from us next year. It's just top of the first inning. But I totally agree. We're very bullish, bullish on humans. Oh, that is awesome. And this is so amazing. There are plane uh, references, like there are baseball, I think sports references and everything that you say. I, I'm really digging your language. I, I want to I wanna use some of that in my everyday. I want to start saying things are like a net bad thing and a net positive, regardless of what they are. Like, you know, that bowl of fun I'm about to eat, net positive. <laughs> and my stomach, <laughs> because... I like love it so much that you're going to like start a movement. You should create merch. Like you should create like t-shirts and stuff that say like that investment was a net positive and just like, Oh man. Like easy to to tighten and the merch and language. I love it. (laughs) Um, Anyways, could you maybe just like give us a brief taste of what you guys are serving up uh, for 2022 and that next phase of growth for Titan Invest and just what you're excited about heading uh, into the next year. Yeah, I'm going to end with uh, or maybe wrap with with yet another analogy of how we view the world of investing. So we view, I've talked about this before, I think with, with many other folks publicly, um, 
we view investing as one big restaurant right now. And many folks will have only been seated at the front of the restaurant and given a pretty vanilla looking menu. And it has things like mutual funds and low cost, you know, index funds and ETFs. But there's this whole world in the back of the restaurant where after you certain across a certain level of wealth, you know, you're tapped on the shoulder by a waiter or waitress. They whisk you through the kitchen to the back of the restaurant, the secret menu. You're handled a a la carte, you know, 14 course private tasting menu and you have white glove service and they're, they're doting on you hand and foot. And on this menu has things like hedge funds and private equity and VC and crypto hedge funds and all these other alternatives. And that didn't sit well with us. That's obviously why we built Titan. I think to your question on what's ahead, there's sort of three main vectors that we're going to see us continue to push forward on. One is the menu. So what's what's actually on the menu? You know, we have four products, four meals today, three across equities, one across crypto. You're going to see more products on the menu. So that's first and foremost. Um, secondly, you're going to see new ways that we're combining ingredients for you, right? So you can consider this the, you know, the various features and automations that we can build, but also just UX. Um, so different ways um, that those products interact with each other and get managed over time. And then finally is the service. I think it's arguably the most important part. Mm-hmm. It's like you can have a great meal if it's thrown on a crappy looking tray and it's not plated well, it almost doesn't matter what it tastes like. That's going to leave a pretty yeah. bad impression. So you're going to see us really amplify the service component. That white glove service manifests itself in the personalized relationship you feel like you have with our team, the types of authority that we have um, on the investment team here. So better ingredients, more on the menu, better service. And over time, obviously, that more and more people will be able to access the back of that restaurant, which is a really exciting vision. That is exciting and it makes me hungry. So I, I'm i excited to, to check out um, just the next phase of growth for you guys. I appreciate that this was a restaurant metaphor because I said serving up and give us a taste. So it's like I like what I did there. We're on the same wavelength or you have separate metaphors, depending on what the interviewer like asks. If they're like a sports guy, you like I have, I have a big if this, then that table. That yeah. I just yeah. maps to based on the questions I get asked. Oh, that is a net positive. I love it. And <laughs> I'm like not using that term as good as you. Anyway. So a few last questions. I I do like to talk about inclusion and representation in the fintech space on this show. It's really important to me and my content. Um, What are some of the steps that Titan takes to really ensure that you're contributing to creating fintech cultures that are inclusive and, um, you know, products that are inclusive for everyone in the world, I guess, eventually. But yeah, I mean, in a nutshell, fintech is, you know, meant to change the world and, and give access to financial freedom to everyone. That's only if it's created and, you know, accessible and equitable matters? It's a great question. And I'll, I'll kick it off with what I went back to earlier, which is that people ship software. And so mm-hmm. it's like, how do you how do you create a more inclusive and diverse product and client base? Well, it starts with the people that are shipping the software. So, you know, when you look at our executive team, let's start with the founding team. So my co-founder, Joe, and I were both co-CEOs. Um, I'm a Black founder. Joe's a Puerto Rican founder. So this sort of inclusion, inclusion and diversity, our view is it starts at the top. It starts with the, the team that we're assembling. You know, we just assembled a team of of two VPs that are coming on board from engineering and product, both diverse, both minorities, um, both gender diverse. And so I think having that at the very top of the company, we go by what we do, not necessarily what just what we say. And so setting that tone from the top, I think it also it's really important to seek feedback. The one thing I learned from Wall Street, having been on been there for you know, five, six years, is a lot of places have radical transparency, but many don't. You know, if you have blinders on, um, usually these sorts of things are a problem too late. You come up with solutions too late. This has been ingrained in our DNA from the very beginning. And so we're rigorous about seeking feedback from our people every couple of weeks, understanding 
what's going right in terms of how we're planning, in terms of what we're focusing on, in terms of the clients, which client requests or, or complaints, you know, or what have you, you know, how do we, how do we address these? So I think it's about the people and the processes at the very early stage. And I think it was important for us, especially as, you know, as diverse founders that we end up at a place where not only can more people access more things on the menu at a cheaper price, but the complexion of the group of people that's accessing it looks much more like America, quite frankly, and not the the silos of Wall Street past. Oh, well said and great answer uh, to that question. I, I ask a lot of my guests that one because it's just super important. And um, tone at the top is something I've been preaching for a while as well. So we are we are such on the same wavelength, but I appreciate you sharing that and, and all the work that you're doing because at the end of the day, if the leadership isn't representative of the audience that you're trying to capture, you're never going to have a successful company or product or all of things. So yes, tone at the top is 100% the goal. So kind of going back to food, you did grow up in Chicago. So I do have to ask, what do you think Chicago does better, hot dogs or deep dish pizza? Oh, man, I'm going to get like ousted from my, my, from my Chicago neighborhood because I, I've, I'm sort of a New York convert when it comes to pizza. Um, Ooh, like I, I'm, I'm like a, you know, I'm like a thin slice all the way type of guy now, but also because I grew up all throughout, you know, middle school, high school, a few blocks away from the guy who founded Portillo's. If you ever heard Portillo's hot dogs. Yeah. 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 Oh so I, I grew up on that and I, I'm a massive, massive fan. So it's probably, it's probably quite contrarian to me, but I'm going to have to say hot dogs. I think they, all they right. do it right. All right. All right. We'll make sure to blast that on Twitter and see what happens um, <laughs> and tag just all the Chicago pizza pizza shops. But no, Portillo's is so good. My partner's from Chicago as well. I think the first time we went there when we could travel again in the pandemic um, and all vaxxed and stuff, I think we ate there like six times in one day. It was like ridiculous. Anyway, but it was delicious. Love it. Chicago style. I agree. Concur. Anyway, final thoughts, Clay. Please tell us what the F we can expect from you and Titan next. Oh, menu, better, better menu, better <laughs> ingredients, better service. There's a lot of chaos and things going around right, you know, right and wrong in the world right now. And I think yeah. we want to be a voice of, of calm and authority and trust. And so you're going to continue to see us keep that cool, keep that calm on the surface. But there's a lot of things cooking underneath across each of those vectors. I'm just really excited for what's to come. I'm excited to see you guys uh, keep skyrocketing and, and see the growth. Congratulations on all the success and all of the between all the accolades. I love that employee retention is the one that means the most to you and how you measure success. So many good bits in this show. I really appreciate your time, Clay. Thank you so much for joining us. That is a wrap on this episode. And I'm like, give a virtual round of applause for Clay for joining us again. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. If you loved this episode, be sure to hit that subscribe button. You can find me on all your favorite podcast platforms. Until next time, talk soon. Leave you with the one in the